our scripture this morning is such an uh, interesting scripture. Before we read that, um, I just want to remind us of something. Today we're talking about obeying the leading of God. And any time that we're talking about obeying God, we have to be very, very careful because obedience does not equal righteousness in the kingdom of God anymore. Did you know that? It's not our obedience that leads us to righteousness. It's Christ's obedience that imputes, puts righteousness on us. The robes of righteousness that we wear are because of what Christ did on a cross. So when we obey God, it is definitely to our benefit, and it is us trusting God. But that's not what makes me okay, and it's not what makes you okay. It's not what makes any of us okay with each other or okay in the eyes of the Lord. Our obedience and disobedience is not the gauge of our righteousness. The gauge of our righteousness is the blood of Jesus. Okay, which means it's already done. It's already accomplished. We cannot add to it. We cannot take away from it. We need to talk about obeying God today and the importance of that. But it's important that before we do, we talk about the gospel, which is that we are forgiven. We are cleansed. There is now, therefore, no condemnation. Our conscience should be washed clean and free. And if our hearts condemn us, it's not because we're not living righteously enough. It's because we're not believing enough in the blood of Jesus. Okay, and so that's where it all starts. That's where everything starts. Entrance to the kingdom of God is trusting that what he did is enough. After we believe that and live within that, then we learn to rest in Christ. We learn to trust him more, and then we want to obey him more. He takes out from us a heart of stone that takes those peas and throws them off the end of the table. And instead, what he does is he puts in us a desire to actually say, hey, what do you want from me? Because you know what's best for my life. And he begins to transform our hearts. And that's the journey. That's the, that's the journey of the Christian life is learning to trust him more and rest in him more. So uh, with that said, uh, we are talking about um, hearing the voice of God in this series um, and understanding the voice of God. But today we're talking specifically about obeying the voice of God. And uh, I will tell you why we are talking about that today in just a minute. But what I'm going to do is I am going to have us, Garrett, this time read the scripture at the front end because uh, we got sabotaged by uh, the length of my storytelling. I, I, I told I was telling stories. I got caught telling stories in the first service and to the point where I was like not getting to the scripture. So we're going to get to the scripture right off the bat. If you can turn with me to Second Kings chapter 13. Starting in verse 14, we are going to honor God's word by standing as we read it, please. Second, you're going to be like, what in the world text are we doing today? Second Kings 13, 14. Now when Elisha, you know who Elisha is, that's the great prophet who came after Elijah, had fought, and he spoke to the kings all the time. God used him with the kings of Israel when they were in a pretty rough spot. Now when Elisha had fallen sick with the illness of which he was to die, Joash, king of Israel, went down to him and wept before him, crying, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And Elisha said to him, Take a bow. And arrows. So he took a bow and arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, draw the bow. And he drew it. And Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands. And he said, open the window eastward. And he opened it. And Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. And he said, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria. For you shall fight the Syrians in Aphek until you have made an end of them. And he said, take the arrows, and he took them. 
And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground with them. And he struck three times and stopped. Then the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck down Syria until you made an end of it. But now you will strike now, but now you will strike down Syria only three times. That's it. (laughs) May God add the blessing in you and in us from the reading of his word. Let it settle into our hearts and into our minds. You can have a seat. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the stories in your scripture, even the abstract, obscure ones that are out there that we're like, what? And we thank you that, uh, that you help us, that you, via your spirit, guide us through the scripture and you guide us through life. And Father, we ask that today you would make yourself known through this scripture, that God, you would reveal to us what it is you would have us to learn about you so that we can walk in deeper fellowship with you. In the name of Jesus, amen. So on Thursday, I was at a uh, regional church leaders meeting. Um, there's, you know, the, the network of nets or what we work at is trying to build oneness between churches. There's other uh, people trying to do that across southeastern Pennsylvania. And I was at this this meeting where someone had pulled a bunch of leaders who were working at that type of thing and oneness in the church together. And we've been meeting together and praying together. And it's been a really good team and on Thursday, we were in Reading, and we were praying over this guy who's been working in Reading to try to bring more of a sense of oneness to the church in Reading. Tough spot. Reading's a, uh, you know, a tough town. And, um, and as we were praying for him, I got a, a phone call. I didn't answer it. I didn't even look at it. And it was a voicemail. It was a voicemail from Becky, the secretary. And she was saying, hey, Tim, uh, I never got your sermon information. And I was like, oh. Man. So I'm listening to the, to the voicemail and she's like, just tell me the sermon title so I can get it in the, in our information. And I went to text back and the sermon title, uh, was reading the signs. That's the, the week we were at in the series. And I went to text back reading the signs. And as I did, I, I had started to text it and, uh, I had this thought and the thought was, you know, um, since it's not in the, in the, uh, bulletin yet or anything like that, um, I could change the title if I wanted to. I could change what message I'm preaching. Just this like random thought. And then I went to keep typing and then I thought, I wonder why I thought that. And then I thought, oh, I wonder if that was actually God saying maybe I should do that. And so then I stopped and prayed and asked the Lord. And I said, uh, do you want me to teach something different? And I was like, the first thought that came is I should teach obeying the leading, which is the last sermon in this series. Okay. And it was just a thought just like any other thought, except it wasn't. And I don't know how to describe that, but that's what we're going to talk about today. It's because uh, as, as how to begin to distinguish the thoughts that are just our thoughts from the thoughts that he puts in our minds, from the feelings that are just our feelings to the feelings that he puts on our hearts, to the imaginations that are just us imagining something versus the imaginations that he takes over and begins to give vision to. And how do we nuance that? And how do we learn to, to, to see that and understand what's him versus what's just us? And that's what I want to talk about today is, uh, is that the part of the way, the premise of this, of this message is this, that the way we figure, the most important thing in figuring out what is God and what isn't God is what we know is God, we obey. And the more we obey, the more we hear. That's the way it works. And sometimes it takes, takes major faith and trust and risk to step out and obey. But when we do, we will hear more clearly the next time. And it'll get clearer and clearer 
and clearer. God wants to speak to his people. God wants to quarterback his team. God wants to direct his army. God wants to lead his family. God wants to love his kids and be close to them and interact with them. So he wants a living, dynamic conversation with his people. But we actually have to learn to know that voice and to walk with that voice. So here's a few things. We're going to get back to the text. Um, but there's a few things that I want to talk about. When you get that thought, you know, that thought that may or may not be God, it might just be you. There's a few things that are important filters to help us begin to distinguish whether or not the thing that I'm sensing or leading or feeling is actually from God or if it's just me. First one is the Bible. Okay. If, if, if I'm, I'm sensing I need to do something or, or feeling something or whatever, and it's unbiblical, then it wasn't God. Okay, and that's just easy because the Bible's the foundation, it's the authority. The Holy Spirit is alive and moves and communicates to us, but the Holy Spirit is not in contradiction with the Word of God. Okay, and so that's the first filter. Number one, that's easy to say no to something if it's not biblical, but it's not always easy to know that it's yes because there's all sorts of things that are biblical. And so there's, and there's kind of like paradigms, different paradigms and different principles all across the pages of scripture. And if I take this principle and I think about it this way and then apply it to my life this way, well, then there's also this principle that I think about this way and apply it this way. And I might get two different things, right? About, and so when we're looking for wisdom from God, we're actually asking for him to nuance his voice and custom fit those principles into my life to apply it to my life right now. Bible is the first filter. Another filter is two-part filter. The other thing, I'm going to give just three right here. There's three. There's the Bible and two others. These two others are very related to each other. It's the community and the authority within the community. Okay, so authority is a principle that God gives us. If, if a, a, a girl who's uh, Cheyenne, yeah, oh, see, I'm just all about calling people out today. So Cheyenne went to Indonesia with us this year. Was Indonesia awesome? Cheyenne texted her mom, Yvonne, and told her mom, I might not be coming back, mom, because I'm having so much fun. Her mother was like, you are coming back. If Cheyenne was praying and had a burden on her heart at that moment that was feeling a call to be in Indonesia from God and said, mom, I really feel like I'm supposed to stay here. And her mom said, you are not staying there. What's she supposed to do? Listen to her mom. That's the right answer. It is. It's the right answer. Because God, you know, in the Ten Commandments, the first four are about how we submit to God. The next one is the fifth commandment. Honor your mother and fa- your, fa- your father and mother. Yes, exactly. And that's a principle, a God-given principle that he puts authority in our life to help frame us. It wouldn't be necessarily that she wasn't feeling a call from God in that moment, but that call then has to be refined. It has to be submitted and refined to the other principles that God has put in place. And so if I hear from the Lord, I don't always hear perfectly and clearly and apply it just right. I have to have the humility to say, God may have spoken this to me, but there's also a brokenness that understands I have to submit this for the refining that the authority can bring. So I have to submit to the authority that God's given me. And then I also have to submit it to the community. And so we understand that we are a body of discernment. 
We discern together. There's many different gifts and many different perspectives, and it's really important to get other people's perspective and not live on an island. Christianity was never meant to function that way. We know that, right? We were meant to function in community. And if we only have our personal relationship with God, we're not getting the whole picture. It has to be personal, but it can't only be personal, or we'll miss it. And so you take the personal relation, the, the personal communication that you receive from God, and you bring it to a body of discernment. And you talk about that together. It doesn't mean you take a vote and whatever is the, you know, the, the democracy wins. That's not the way it works. That does not go well. Um, but it also doesn't mean that each person does what's right in their own eyes. That also does not go well. So there's this sense of discernment that happens when I hear or sense something or feel something. And then I take it through the filter of the word of God. And then I take it through the filter of the authority. And then I put it out there with the community. And at the end of that, we tend to be at a place that's much more refined, okay? And uh, sometimes we're scared to put it out to the community because the thing we're sensing might be weird enough that we're like, I don't know if I want to share that with anybody because they're going to think I'm weird. But I think when we get really honest with people who love the Lord and we ask them to prayerfully consider this with us, there is a possibility for things to go better, okay? And, uh, and we have to be careful about who we are seeking for that, you know? But, but if those who we know and trust are listening to the Lord, then we go after that, you know? Okay, so those are principles. Now, um, given that, there, we, when we go through that kind of filter, we get to a place where now we still have on a personal level the need to figure out what is of God and what is of me. There's like a personal part of that. Before we do, I need to give examples about how that, um, how that works out with the authority and the community. I was at Moody Bible Institute, um, and I was about to graduate. Uh, I was uh, getting my bachelor's, and I was a few weeks from graduation. I had uh, a house lined up in Ireland um, with European Christian Mission that a number of us were going to go over and live intentionally in community in Ireland, and we were going to uh, tell people about Jesus and live together and know God more, and it was going to be awesome. And something happened. And what happened as I was studying, and as I was studying about, I was studying uh, for a senior seminar class, and I was studying the difference between the synagogue and the temple. And as I was looking at the difference between the temple and the synagogue, I realized that the temple was something that God had ordained in Scripture and had spoken to the people of Israel. But then while they were in exile, away from where they were, where the temple was, they weren't allowed to offer sacrifice outside of the temple ground. While they were away from there, they didn't have the temple. And instead of repenting and going and, and asking God to bring them back to the temple, what they did was they created the synagogue. And it was a substitute. And the synagogue was where they would discuss the law and try to figure out how to obey the law. They didn't sacrifice there. The act of worship, as far as the atonement of God washing them so they could have fellowship with God, instead what ended up happening was that they would discuss the law and figure out how to more embody the law, and it became more of a man-centered religion. By the time Jesus came around, he would go to the synagogue and he would teach there, but the whole kind of picture of the, of the Jewish faith had really shifted because the center of their faith had shifted from a, a, a temple-centered worship to a synagogue-centered worship. In the middle of that, I could go into great more detail about what was going on. But in the middle of that, I was going through something personally. And God, I will say it, God spoke to me. But I didn't know how to hear his voice. I didn't know it was his voice. I didn't know how all that worked. This is what I knew, was that I was deeply convicted that there is a significant 
clarity in the scripture about how we're to worship God and how that's supposed to work. And that in the New Testament, he gave us a way to worship him and to connect with him. And it's called the church. And that this thing that I was about to go do in Ireland wasn't really the church. It was some other thing. And as a matter of fact, this school that I was sitting in at Moody Bible Institute, which was an awesome place, a Bible college that trains people in the word of God, was not actually a church. And while it taught the word of God, it didn't embody the message of God because it wasn't a church. It was a school. And a school doesn't embody what it is that God wants to do. A church does. And there was the character of God was there, but the, the whole way it was set up with. And as God was showing me this stuff, I felt a deep sense of conviction. The way I interpreted that conviction was interesting. I was like, I need to quit Moody Bible Institute. I was two weeks from graduation. And I honestly felt like God was calling me to quit at Moody and say my authority to teach the word of God and the strength that he gives me is not found in a degree that comes from some school. You know, Paul says he counts all that stuff lost for the sake of Christ. And I'm just going to say I'm grateful for all the stuff I learned, but I don't need the piece of paper. I'm going to go and move and let God establish any authority he's going to bring. And that's what I sensed. And I, I, deep conviction, deep conviction about that. And I talked to my parents about that. I talked to my friends about that. I talked to the elders of the church, Parker Ford Church, about that. Because, you know, this was my church when I was a kid. And, uh, and I talked to everyone about that. And get this, not one person agreed with me <laughs> leaving school. Not one. Not one. And I was so mad. And the reason I was mad, I mean, I did not want to do all that work and not get a degree. Are you crazy? But I really felt convicted by God. I knew, here's the thing. I knew that 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 God was speaking to me. I knew it. And then I felt like everyone else was standing in my way. Like, why are you not getting in line with that? You know? And so, that, but, but it was really interesting because um, I also knew the principles of scripture. And that at this point, I was still kind of under my parents' authority and there was still biblical authority. And I was like, I actually have to kind of defy the wisdom of the authority and the community and everyone else if I'm going to do this. Do I really want to step out on a limb like that? You know, and should I? And uh, I was on like a week, I went on a fast for a week. I didn't talk. I was on a silence fast until... This guy broke my silence fast over here. He knew I wasn't talking. And if you ever want to hear a story about someone truly being a punk to another person, to, uh, then you can ask Josh about that story. And, um, and got me to break my fast. And, but the awesome, it's this awesome thing. Looking back, this is what I realized, is that God was speaking to me in that moment. That's true. And what he was doing was he was putting a call on my life to be a part of the church. And I had all these ideas about how I wanted to go after building God's kingdom and all these fun ideas, man. I, over and over again, I got offered these great positions. I had this one position that, that got offered to me by the same mission board to come over and surf and play soccer in Ireland in order to make connections with this guys, these guys in this community who they could not make any connections with. And I had to turn it down because God had called me to be a part of local church work, not a part of just going with a mission board to do this thing. And that's what God had been calling me in that moment. But the way I applied that was by pushing against anything that wasn't local church in that moment. Does that make sense? And what I needed was the refinement of the community to say, get what you're saying, kind of, and uh, but you need to stay. And I did. 
And to this day, I have no regrets over the fact that I, that I, I graduated. I really don't. Like an, an overarching regret. I, I don't feel that. A year and a half later, I uh, was married. Um, and it was Jen, by the way, who I was married to. And <laughs> Jen's back in the nursery. She's not here hearing any of this. Um, and uh, so let's talk. <laughs> um, and as soon as I got married, I, right after I got married, I was working as a therapeutic staff support uh, wraparound in the public schools. You know what that is, where the, um, like if a, a kid has behavioral issues or some sort of struggle, they need someone to come side by side with them and help them. And, and uh, that's what my job was. And um, the, the, organiz- the specific organization I was working with had two rules that were very difficult for me. One was that uh, you weren't allowed to communicate on any level for any reason about your faith. Okay, and that was very difficult for me. The second was, under no circumstances whatsoever are you ever allowed to make any physical contact with the person you're with, unless one, if they if you had to put a restraint on them because they were uh, doing harm to others. So this is what happens. I'm teaching the one kid how to do a kickflip on his skateboard. He finally nails it. He turns around and he's like, yeah, goes to give me a high five. And I'm like, and he's like, what is wrong with you? And, you know, and th- there's this moment when, and, and then there's a time where we're in the school and he got kicked out of the class and we're in walking the hallway and we sit down and he starts asking me about, I don't know what's wrong with me and how this can get better. And there's only one answer to that, you know. And so I led him to Christ that day in the school. And um, he went back into class and I opened up a book. And the book I was reading was called The Call. From, uh, it's written by Oz Guinness. If you've never read that book, go read it. It's an awesome book, great book. And um, so I was reading it, and, and the, the book said something to the effect of your vocation comes before your job. The job doesn't define who you are. God's vocation does, his calling on your life. And you try to find, he said, there's some who are fortunate enough to get jobs that line up with their vocation. You know, and he's like, but whatever you're doing, if you're not in your vocation in any way, if you're not discovering who you are and what God called you to be, if you're not involved in your vocation in some way, then you need to stop everything else you're doing and get on your face before the Lord and ask him how you can be more fitted into your vocation, into who you are, you know. And I knew right then it was that same thing. God was like, you need to quit your job. And I was like, dude, I just got married. I was like, I can't quit my job. And it was like, I need to quit my job. I went home that night and I started to write a letter of resignation. I talked to Jen about it and I said, I got to quit my job. She's like, what are you going to do? I'm like, I don't know, but I know I need to quit my job. And I I have a sense of urgency about it. Like God just put it on me. So I'm like, I'm going to quit my job. And every time I prayed about it, he, it was, I just didn't have peace about looking for another job right now. It was like he was calling me into something and I felt so weird about it. I was terribly embarrassed, man. Like, you know, like about being a guy who just got married and then quit his job while his wife's working. Like, I was just like, I don't know. I just, I mean, my pride was struggling, all sorts of stuff. Then I had this conversation with my dad who we we were at Spring City, uh, Burger King in Spring City, sitting across the table from each other and doing, he was doing exactly what a father should do. He sat across the table from me and he said, look, man, I don't know what it is that's going on here, but I know that your role, part of your role, according to scripture, is to, to provide, you know? Are you taking that into consideration? I'm like, yeah, I know, I am. And he's like, okay, okay. And he's like, and you know that, like, uh, 
it'd be really weird if you just like quit your job and live off of your wife and don't do anything when you guys just got married. Like the scriptures also say you're supposed to keep your hands busy. And I'm like, yeah, I know. And he's like, okay. So you're hearing what I'm saying? I'm like, yeah, I am. I'm like, you remember that time when God told Abraham to pick up Isaac and put him on an altar? And like everybody would have thought he was crazy and that was unbiblical, but he knew that he knew and it wasn't an unbiblical principle. It was just one of those other principles. I'm like, that's what's going on. And God's calling me to this thing. And I got to step out. And I don't know what to do. The takeaway today is not quit your job. Okay? Just to clear the record. So um, I quit my job. For a month and a half, I was in our apartment, tiny little apartment out in Reading area in Moton. And uh, I'm sitting there. And every day I'd get up, my wife would go to work, and I'd sit there and look around. Like, what do I do? And I would put on worship music and I'd start to pray and I'd start to read my Bible and I'd say, God, lead me today. And for a month and a half, he would never let me pick up the phone. One time I picked up the phone against his will to call to apply for another job. And I had started to talk on the phone with the person and the conviction was so heavy that I said, I am really sorry, but I got to hang up the phone now and hung up the phone. Um, And that whole month and a half, I remember every day just having to fight off the all the other stuff that was telling me I was crazy. And I remember having to sit there and trust God and say, God, lead me, lead me, lead me. And every day he led me more. And I get, went into deep worship with the Lord, deep times of prayer. And what I would do is every time that, that I would have a thought or a leading, I would write it down in my journal. And I would say, this is what I'm sensing right now. I don't know if that's you or not, God. And then if there was something that I could do to act upon that, like make a phone call and talk to this person or do this thing or pray this prayer, I would do it. And then whatever happened in response, I would also write down in my journal and I would track it because I wanted to see, was that just me or was that God? And I was doing like a critical analysis of this whole thing and say, I wanted to learn, you know? And so I'm like, teach me if this is your voice. And there'd be these times, most of the time he just told me to sit in his presence and to pray. But then there was these moments where what he actually would do was say, was he would bring Jen to mind, my wife, and do something like, like I'd picture making her a meal, you know? So I'd be like, okay. So then I'd go and make a meal and she'd come home and it was exactly what she needed enough for her to continue to trust me in this thing. Cause she kept asking me, is this of the Lord? And I'd say, yes, it is. And she'd be like, okay, what do I tell all the girls at work when they're asking what, you know, you're doing? And I'm like, I have no idea what you tell them. I'm sorry, tell them you're the loony of a husband. I don't know. Um, and uh, so at the, at the end of that, uh, a month and a half later, um, I get a phone call and uh, Josh called me and uh, he was working at Vanguard at the time. And he said, I think this is from the Lord. They, um, I was leading worship at Parker Ford Church at the time and doing some other things. And he said, I think this is of the Lord. I don't know. It's up to you. There's a 25-hour position with full benefits that uh, kind of fits uh, giving you enough space to do what it is you're doing. And the Lord was right there. At that point, I was well accustomed to sitting in the Lord. And it was like, that was it. And I took that, and then I was able to do both the ministry stuff I was doing and uh, be providing more, and God brought that whole thing. What was happening in that whole season was God was teaching me to learn to hear his voice. And the biggest thing that I learned was you would ne- I would never know whether it was him or not unless I did something about it when he said it. You never find out whether it's him unless you step out and do it. It's the only way. 
It's the only way to know whether that's just me or whether it's God. If it goes through the filter of the Bible and it goes through the filter of authority and there's this thing with community and you know, and then I, I, in that time, the, the reason I didn't, you know, I heard my dad and everything, I was my own man at that point, you know, with my own family and I had to make a decision. And in that moment, you have to start making decisions when you know this is my domain, the thing God's called me to, and I have to make decisions about that. And then you learn by trial and error and by tracking and responding. You respond to God and track what happens. And then you learn to hear God's voice that way. Um, we had this team of people um, who in our, Josh was just talking about Church of the Brethren. We, uh, at one point, I had a team that uh, I was called to lead across our district to assess why so many churches were in decline. And we did statistic analysis and all that stuff, but the, but the thing that was more important, we knew that churches do well if they're plugged into the vine. You bear fruit if you're plugged into the vine. So it's a spiritual problem if we're having major atrophy. It's not just a, you know, logistics problem. It's not just that our bathrooms aren't nice enough or our screens aren't big enough or whatever. It's, you know, if there's a, if God is thriving and moving, then there's a draw to that thing. And so we decided that what we needed to do was learn how to spiritually discern what was happening. And so there was a team of us. We we were all young. We were in our 20s, and we're all trying to figure out. I think that's right. We we're in our 20s. I've, I've lost track of time. I think we were all there. And actually, that's how I met Josh Hostetter. He came onto that team, um, right? Christina, isn't that how? Yeah. And so, um, so that's how Josh and I met. He was on that team. And, and Jay McCumber, who uh, leads Netzer with me, he was on that team as well. And we're sitting there, and, uh, and I said, for the first two months, all we're going to do is before we do any analysis, before we go to any churches, we're going to figure out together how to discern spiritually what God is saying. So this is what we're going to do. Each time we get together, one person's on the hot seat. Come up and sit here and tell us what's going on in your life and what the struggles are, and we're going to expect that God's going to communicate to you something helpful about what's going on in your life. So share with us everything that's going on. Then we go into a place of prayer, and I tell everyone, read your Bible as you're praying. Just open up the pages of Scripture and start to read them. Use your imagination and pray for this person and tell us anything you're picturing as you're imagining. And so then we would record the thing. You know, we'd put We'd put a recording out there and we record this person saying, I have no idea if this is God or just my imagination, but as I'm praying, this is what I'm picturing. Or this is the scripture that I'm reading. And I don't know if this applies or whatever, but here's the scripture. And what we found was, is that God would speak profoundly to that person through the community. And that things they were having a really difficult time figuring out, God would encourage their hearts and he would do all this stuff and just really help them. And by the end of that, what we did is then we went to pastors in the area and we asked pastors to come together and we'd have a meeting with the pastors and we'd pray with them and ask them questions about what was going on in their ministry. And as they were responding, we would go into a time of prayer with them and do the same thing and wait to see what it is that God was communicating. Then at the end of the whole project, we put together all the things that God was communicating to all these different pastors and saw what was in common and then realized there was major commonalities across the whole thing. And we were like, this is our problem. Here's the root issues we're dealing with. Um, and, and that's how, and the one time we were in this meeting and Jay, um, who, you know, uh, is, is a long-term buddy, he, we were sitting here in a small setting and there was another pastor there and we were in the middle of talking to him and we went into prayer and he just stopped and he said, I need to ask you a question. He said, this is really awkward. I get it. It's weird. It's a tight setting. I just need to ask you this question. Do you struggle with pornography? And the guy just lost it. Just lost it. And was like, man, how in the world did you know that? And he's like, man, 
I don't know, I was praying for you, and that's just what I was picturing. Was that, and, and, and he's like, as a matter of fact, as I was praying for you, I felt this weird tug on my heart to think thoughts that were inappropriate. And I just thought, that's not about me right now, that's about him. And he had learned to hear the voice of God, and he called this guy out, and we said, can we pray over you? And we prayed over him, and, and like a few years later, connecting with this guy, he's like, man, I am free and clean. And God has done awesome things in our church and in my marriage and all this stuff because of what happened in that moment. We were just a bunch of kids who were trying to figure out how to hear God. And we had thoughts, and who knows that if there are thoughts or God's, but we decided together that we actually believe that God does want to communicate, so we're going to try to figure out together what that looks like, you know? It's not like we heard the bullhorn or something. It's not like there was writing on the wall. It was just simple. God is there. He's closer than we think. But we can be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding. His voice is right there. It's just a matter of whether we can hear it. And most of the time, whether we hear it has to do with the last thing that he said, did I obey it? And if I learn to obey it, then I learn that he's faithful. And then I start to seek it more. And the more I seek it, the more he speaks it. You know how when Jesus spoke in parables all the time, there was always the people who couldn't understand the parable? And he did it that way on purpose because there's a built-in filter to his voice that says, my voice is for those who will trust me. My voice is not just throw it out there. Anyone can hear it. It's sacred. And if you want God's voice, then you have to want God to lead you. (laughs) And God is not our yoga instructor or our therapist. He's our God. And if we want a God in our life other than just ourselves, then he will reveal himself. If we will seek him, he will reveal himself. Josh quoted from Hebrews last, last week in his sermon. And this is what he said. He said, um, without faith, it is impossible to please God. That verse goes on to say that those who would seek God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. This is the faith. The faith is that when I come up against something that God is leading me into, I have to have faith, not just that God exists, but that he really exists, that this is him, that he actually can speak to me, that God's powerful enough to break through our material world and get his spiritual voice into my spirit and communicate to me. And I have to actually believe that's possible. And then I have to seek it. And then when he gives me a little urge and a little nudge and a little leading, I actually have to trust that he rewards those who diligently seek him. In other words, that if I'll follow him, that it's going to be good. That it's going to be good. And I have to trust his character that way. And if I learn to trust his, not, I trust that this is real, and I trust that he's good, and I step out on it, man, is it awesome. Man, is it awesome when he does that. Okay? But we have to be willing to trust him. Now, Listen, this passage that I just read for you um, about the Elisha and this king, there's this moment, you know, he takes out the bow and he shoots it. And for you hunters, stop thinking about bow hunting right now and deer. Um, so he has to take this bow and he has to pull it back and he has to shoot it out the window. But before he does, Elisha comes over and he puts his hand on top of his hand. What was that all about? What was that all about? Why does Elisha put his hand? Because of this. You're going to go to battle. 
And you're going to draw the bow, but the hand of God will be on your hand. Okay? And now, when you pull this back and you release it, it's not just your hand. It's God's hand. God's hand with your hand. And so he says, and this is the arrow of the Lord's victory. Not just your victory. It's the Lord's victory over Syria. Okay? And he said, he's going to give you victory. Now, take these, take these arrows and beat the ground with them. Okay? So he's like, whack, 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 hits him three times. And then Elisha gets all mad at him. And says, why didn't you hit it six times, five or six times? Then you would have crushed the enemy. Instead, you only did it three times. And you're like, how in the world would Joash have possibly known? There's only one reason why he didn't respond the right way. Because he thought this was like a little bit of a game. Like a cute kind of picture of, of like what God was saying. He wasn't taking it serious enough. He wasn't in it because Joash was scared to death. He says, Father, Father, they're coming against us. He's scared to death. But when it came to this like prophetic moment with the prophet, he kind of only half-heartedly went after it. He didn't allow himself to get fully in. He wouldn't trust. And if he actually thought that when he was beating that thing, that he was talking about how he needs to beat down the enemy, he would have busted those arrows all over the place because he would have been like, ah, you know, because he's trying to protect his people. But instead, he's like, okay, I'll play along. Boop, boop, boop. And Elisha's like, play along. And the enemy will have his way with you. When it comes to the voice of God, there's no shame. There's no condemnation and guilt about the fact that we haven't fully engaged or taken him seriously. We're his kids and he loves us and he washed us by the blood. But if we want the abundant life, if we want to conquer the enemy, if we want to see the enemy in our life destroyed so that we can live in the abundance, then we have to take God seriously. And his whisper in our hearts and this little leading thing that he does, it's not a game. It's not entertainment for us to dabble with the spiritual. This is God being the commander of our lives. And he is a rewarder of those who will earnestly seek him. And if we trust him, and we say like David, I yearn for your precepts. I meditate on your law. God, speak to me. Show me the way. All I want in this situation is to know what you want. And I trust that you're big enough and strong enough and capable of communicating to me. So I'm going to listen. I'm going to use my Bible. I'm going to work my imagination. I'm going to think. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask the community. I'm going to talk to my authority. I'm going to seek it out. And I'm going to believe that you're going to lead me. And when I get that nudge, when I ask for wisdom, I got to ask with faith. Otherwise, I'm double-minded and unstable in all my ways. I'm saying that I want to know, but I don't actually want to know. So when you lead me, here's the big moment. Here's the big moment. I'll obey. And the thing that just felt like my thoughts, the thing that just felt like my imagination, the thing that just, just felt like it, it was just this scripture and this thought that I had about it, his hand was wrapped around my hand. And his thoughts were wrapped and influencing my thoughts. And my imaginations were beginning to be filled with the Spirit of God. And he was deciding to lead me. And I have to trust him that he is close to me. He is in me. And he can lead me. And I will follow. I have to tell you two stories. I have to. And this is where we'll close. When I was at Moody, 
Um, I used to go out and do street evangelism. When I, uh, I used to do street evangelism here in Pottstown when I was a kid, and we used to see people come to Christ. Every time we'd go out, we'd see people come to Christ, weeping on the sidewalk and everything. I got out to Chicago, and uh, I started sharing my faith with people on the street in Chicago, and no one came to Christ. Everyone told me to get lost. And I was like, I went and talked to my freshman roommate, <clears throat> and um, I said, hey, dude, what's going on? I don't know what's going on. The, like, no one comes to Christ when we're sharing the gospel here. And he's like, uh, nobody ever comes to Christ when you do street evangelism. <laughs> and I was like, dude, all the time in Pottstown, he's like, well, then somebody was praying for you. And he was right. He was right. I don't know if you ever heard that story. I've told that story too. We found, I, I, as soon as he said that, I remembered the time when I was a kid walking around Pottstown and there was this group from Morning Star Christian Fellowship up there that had been walking around praying the streets the same nights that we were sharing the gospel. And he was right. They had been praying for us and God had been moving powerfully. Anyway, there was this one guy who I would walk past on Michigan Avenue and he was blind. He had black glasses on. I can still picture him perfectly. He had an Oxford on with a black belt and khakis and he had a tin cup that he would rattle with the change in it and he had, you know, his, his stick that he would tap and uh, he would just sit there and rattle it. And then one day I was walking past him and as I was walking past him, I had this thought and it was just like those other thoughts. It was the voice of God. I didn't know it was the voice of God at the time. I didn't know how to tell what was God. I just had a thought, you know, and I was walking and the thought was, I wonder what would happen right now if I went over to that guy and I prayed with him and said, or asked him, Hey, do you want to see again? And if he said yes. And I said, will you pray with me to receive your sight? And uh, what would happen? And that was the thought I had. And then the next thought I had was, I must be crazy, you know? <laughs> and I was like, there's no way I'm going to do that. So I kept walking for about two weeks. God haunted me, haunted me in my time of prayer. And what he haunted me with was not shame. It was just, what if? What if? What if? It was my imagination. And the Bible says that he can do more than we can imagine. So of course he could do the imagination, you know? But I had a hard time having faith for that. I never know what would have been. Fast forward many years later, and uh, I had a buddy who called me, and... Uh, <laughs> This is a hard story to tell. Um, I had a buddy who called me and told me that his mom was uh, had a stroke and she was comatose in the hospital. And um, he asked if he left a voicemail and asked if we could uh, have an anointing service for her. So I called up Jay, my buddy. But before I did, the first thing when I heard the voicemails, I had a picture. I had an imagination, a thought, just like I did about that guy. And this was the picture, is that I had a picture where I was leaning over her bed and I was breathing into her mouth. And I was like, what is that? That was weird. And I just, whatever. I called Jay, and I'm like, are we going? And he's like, yeah. So we, we hopped in the car, and we were headed to the hospital to do this anointing service and to pray with the family. And... uh I made the mistake of telling Jay about what I had pictured. And he was like, dude, you need to do that. And <laughs> if you know Jay, that was a good impersonation, right? Dude, you need to do that. And I was like, there is no way I am doing that. Like, you got to be kidding me. What is wrong with you? And he's like, seriously, he's like, why would you think that unless the Lord put that thought in your head? I'm like, I don't know, but it was probably because Satan put it in my head or something. I don't know. Like, that was crazy. There's no way I am doing that. And he's like, whatever, man. That's between you and the Lord. And um, so we're in this hospital room, and she's comatose, you know, hasn't moved, and she's in a, 
and on the machine and all that. And they're all praying. And I'm literally like sitting over in the corner like this, just under the thumb of God's call. And I'm just sitting here like this. And, uh, and they're praying and doing all this stuff. And then finally I can't, I can't. This thought came to my head. And this was the thought as I'm like, I don't want the next few weeks to be like they were with that guy in Chicago. And he brought that guy back to my mind. This was like 10 years later at least. So I got up and I stood over and I walk over to this woman's bed and I stand next to her bed. And I kid you not, she turns around, moves for the first time. She turns around and opens up her mouth. And so I lean over and I blow into her mouth. And I was so embarrassed, horribly, horribly embarrassed, man. I'm like, what am I doing? She closes her mouth and rolls back over into the position she was, lifeless again. I step back and I close my eyes and I was just like, God, man, I'm a total idiot. Like, what are we doing here? And I'm like, give me something. And in my mind's eye, in my imagination, all I see is smoke coming down like a curtain at the end of a scene, black smoke coming down. And it was just nothing then. My, my mind's eye was just blank. And I was so embarrassed. I was sweating like crazy. And kind of like I am now. And, uh, and, I, uh, and then I said, Lord, um, anything. And I had one thought. And the thought was seven days. And I knew enough at that point to know that that was actually the Lord's voice. And so I said to my friend, um, I said, I don't know what that was all about. But I, the Lord led me to do that. And then told me seven days. So I went home and got in the car, went home. When I got home, there was a voicemail. Or no, there's a phone call. He, I call, he called, pick up the phone, and he said, my mom's sitting up in the chair in her room right now talking to us. And I was like, what? Are you kidding me? He's like, no, I'm dead serious, man. He's like, thanks for coming. We were like, what? And uh, seven days later, I get a phone call from him. And he said, my mom died in her sleep last night. We had her for seven days. Man, I don't know what God wants to do. I don't have a mind like God's. I'm not smart enough to figure this stuff out or when to do what. Childlike faith. Childlike faith. Let him command his army. He wants to use you to speak to that coworker. He wants to use you to bring forgiveness to that family situation. He wants you to financially bless even though you don't have the means to do it. He wants to use you to serve in the kingdom in ways that you don't have the power to do, but he does have the power. What's he whispering to you right now? If every person in this room would learn to listen to the voice of God and respond, our world will never, ever be the same. Greater things than he has done will we do. That's what he says. That's what he says. What can you imagine? He says that he can do more than we ask or imagine to him who is at work in us in the church. Be glory in Christ Jesus throughout now and throughout all ages. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. sensing that like be still and know that I'm God
God, thank you that um, your favorite thing to say is not go heal this person. Your favorite thing to say is not rise up and walk. Your favorite thing to say is not the tearing down of kingdoms and, and the establishing of kings. Your favorite thing to speak is not making the winds calm and the waves calm. Your favorite thing is not come and walk on the water with me. Your favorite thing is not any of that. Your favorite thing is to just grab your child and to whisper to your child's heart, I love you. It's your favorite thing to speak. And, and God, what we want is we want to be able to hear your voice so cleanly and so clearly that when you whisper to us that you love us, that it doesn't just feel like some thought in our head. It doesn't just seem like, you know, something that happened in our imagination. But when we most need to hear it, that we can hear Father God of the universe speak to my heart and say, I love you. And it can change me every time. It can recenter me every time. And so, God, we want to declare together, you exist and you reward those who earnestly seek you. And we believe you for that. Help us with our unbelief. Help us with our unbelief. You exist and you reward those who earnestly seek you. Thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen.